I know I'm kind of late, but what the hell did I just watch? I'm gonna go off top and talk about that bizarre Firefly Funhouse match. Yo, bizarre is an understatement, a mad understatement. I'm also gonna talk about the two title matches of WrestleMania 36, as well as the epic or what was supposed to be epic false count anywhere match between Edge and Randy Orton. I got you some wrestling news, including a certain WWE talent close to making a return to the ring. Find out who that is. I got some AEW news that's not very good. And find out what match The Rock officially declares as the most important match of his entire career. All this and more on the highlight reel. Y'all want to know where I get my beats from? Y'all got to check out Lakes Productions on YouTube. That's Lakes, L-A-Y-K-X, Prod on YouTube. Nobody does it better. I got to tell you, man. These beats be coming in hard, boy. Just, just listen. Just listen to this. So yeah, free plug for the free beats, you know what I'm saying, free beats, gotta love it, no copyright issues there, I tell you man, if I, um, if my, if my uh, podcast ever blows up, I'm gonna get all kind of copyright strikes on some of my episodes, you know what I'm saying, if you listen all the way through till the end of the episodes, usually I'll play a little clip or something like that at the end, it's a little Easter egg if you will, you know what I'm saying, but um, Wow, I'm glad to be back. I know I'm kind of late, but what the hell did I just watch indeed? This WrestleMania 36 discussion has been going on now for the last week and a half. Um, I said I wouldn't watch. I said I wouldn't watch it. I said I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't bother to watch it, but I did. In fact, I just finished re-watching the Firefly Funhouse match for the second time just now before recording this episode. And I'm still 
absolutely dumbfounded at what I watched. That Firefly Funhouse was, it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to describe it. I really don't. You know, it's everyone in social media land has dubbed it an acid trip match. And it was. It was. It was like an acid trip, man. I, I wish I would have been high while I watched it live. <laughs> but I wasn't. But I felt like I was high. I told a buddy of mine. We were watching it. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm high right now. <laughs> you know, it was um, it was like I was tripping. You know, that match was something else. You can't even really call it a match, per se. It really wasn't a match in the conventional sense. But I'm going to give you my theory on it. How I interpreted this quote-unquote match. And you can take it or leave it. Because everyone's got their theories. There's countless videos now on YouTube breaking it down. Um, but I'm going to give you my specific uh, interpretation of how I believe the meanings and everything that that match was supposed to convey. I'm not going to break down the entire WrestleMania 36 card. Only the notables, as I said in the intro. The two championship bouts between Goldberg uh, and Braun Strowman. Lesnar defending against Drew McIntyre. The real man. No Becky Lynch. As well as the grand return of Edge. Taking on his arch nemesis Randy Orton. Lots of history. Two veterans in a false count anywhere match. And um... That out of this world, bizarro, weirdo, can't even describe the damn thing. Firefly Funhouse match with Bray and Cena. Firstly, I want to welcome y'all to the Highlight Reel. THR, your boy Lalo, putting in work on the road, slanging packages. Been busy all week, all things considered. And I thank God for that, man. I'm, I'm very blessed. To still be working and making money with everything going on. You know, the whole country in full-blown lockdown mode. Shit's crazy, man. You you best believe your boy's counting his blessings right now. <laughs> it feels like we're living a real-life Stephen King novel, you know? The stand. The fog. It's, it's the apocalypse and we close to the final chapter, y'all. But I think that the final chapter... Is the end of this pandemic, the sweeping defeat of the corona garbage, and we all live happily ever after. Walt Disney, I tell you what, if I was the president or CEO of the Corona beer brand, <laughs> I would change the damn name of Corona, okay? I mean, Corona is Spanish for crown. It's just, just in case you didn't know. Just slap crown on them bottles from now on. That's what I would do. You know, I, if I was the president of the Corona beer brand in Mexico, I would change the name Corona and just replace it with crown. Because that's what it is anyway. Just in Spanish, I, I would pay, put it in English. Make it crown extra. Right? What's, what's the slogan? They could keep the, the, the slogan. La cerveza más fina. Crown extra. La cerveza más fina. You best believe their sales have plummeted, y'all. <laughs> I mean, I would have to imagine. I know on Instagram recently, and I was scrolling through, I seen some posts. I seen somebody post a photo of an empty grocery store. Lots of people have been posting that, you know. just It's it's wild, man. You, you look out there, all the grocery stores are running out of stuff. But literally, in this particular photo, all the shelves were empty. Except for the stack of dozens of cases of Corona beers just sitting there. <laughs> all lonesome. 
God bless America, y'all. <laughs> God bless our education system. <laughs> That's all I can say. Change the damn name. Let's let's drink Crown from now on. Not Crown Royale, but Crown Extra. La cerveza más peligroso. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to the business at hand. I didn't write no notes for any of these matches, which I really should have, especially for the Firefly Funhouse match. Uh, but I'm going to freestyle my thoughts, get into the news, all the wrestling banter you need. Um, you know what? I, I was going to cut to my little ad for Anchor, but I I'm going to skip that. I'm going to just get right to it. Why not? Braun Strowman versus the WWE champion Goldberg. Is he is he the WWE champ or the Universal champ? I, I don't even know. I, I, I haven't watched WWE's product consistently in a very long time, if I'm being honest. But nonetheless, Goldberg was the champ after beating The Fiend, which was a disgrace. Oh, we all thought so anyway. But after, after what we've seen, and I'll get into it later, that Firefly Funhouse acid trip, none of this matters now. But nonetheless, Goldberg, Braun Strowman... It ended in, in under five minutes, as, as to be expected with Goldberg matches. Now, Goldberg um, lost. He dropped the title to Braun Strowman. And um, initially, I wanted to get into this. I wanted to be like, you know what? That's good. He dropped the title. Um, but I think Goldberg should have retained. I think he should have retained against Braun Strowman. I, I just don't see Braun as championship material in spite of his monstrous aura about him you know Braun Strowman is a big dude he's he's charismatic in his own right but I I like I said he's to me he's like one of those attractions like a minor attraction who just comes out to do comedy skits or comes out to do stuff with celebrities a la the big show um you know but I don't see him as championship material I think Goldberg should have retained um, you know, and could have feuded with somebody else to eventually drop the title to someone more credible. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who. I don't know who to suggest off the top of my head right now. But I, I just don't think he should have dropped the title to Braun. But the match was, um, it was very poor. It, nothing really to write home about. Uh, Strowman hit Goldberg with three power slams. To it, This was after... Goldberg hit Strowman with several spears. Uh, I knew damn well he wasn't even going to attempt the jackhammer. <laughs> he could barely get, uh, you know, Bray Wyatt up for the jackhammer. Um, you know, so there was no way he was going to get Braun Strowman up for the jackhammer. Um, Goldberg really should not be competing. This is funny because, you know, Goldberg, he's actually one of the the first guys I got into, man, when I became a wrestling fan. And I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. When I started out as a wrestling fan, I started out as a WCW fan. You know, um, in the in the early 90s or mid-90s, I should say, in the mid-90s. Like, during the dawning of the Attitude Era, I, I actually was a WCW fan before WWE or WWF at the time. And Goldberg, he was, he was the big stud, the big attraction that I was into right off the top you know of course all the luchadors they really played a pivotal role in me getting into it because all my friends were all into the luchador you know the luchadors Rey Mysterio, Psychosis, Juvie the Juice, Guerrera, Ultimo Dragon and and many others K-Dog aka Conan that's a dude who who really should have been a bigger star than what he was he had so much potential man but was never really used appropriately La Parca 
you know um of course eddie guerrero believe it or not he was considered a cruiserweight back in the day as well as jericho and chris benoit and dean malenko and and so many others i could go on and on wcw was it was uh an awesome wrestling show but goldberg was my dude and fast forward decades later i'm like goldberg needs to hang him up bro what's he doing i know he's chasing that paper why not but at some point you gotta also look at your health you know and i mean it can't be you know doing these four minute matches they're kind of embarrassing and um it it doesn't do anybody any favors braun Strowman beating goldberg doesn't do him any favors especially considering that match was not a good match at all drew mcintyre the real man no becky lynch taking on brock by the way by the way let, let me just I, I i know i said i was only gonna review these matches but becky uh, becky lynch little red riding hood beating Shayna baszler get out of here man J just go on with your dumb ass really really though oh man face palm i'm just disgusted by that you know just disgusted you know, Shayna Baszler's a legitimate athlete, a legitimate cage fighter who could not only whoop on Becky Lynch's ass in a real-life fight, she could probably whoop on half the roster if she wanted to, men and women, <laughs> okay? Little Red Riding Hood beats Shayna Baszler, and I'm disgusted. Anyway, let's get on to the real man, Drew McIntyre, Brock Lesnar. This was reminiscent of the Braun Strowman Goldberg match from, from earlier. It, it was under five minutes. At, at most, it was five minutes. I don't even think this match lasted. It was like four minutes long. Drew McIntyre defeats the Beast. He slays the Beast incarnate and becomes the champ. You know, this is the match that needed the crowd more than any of the matches on the card, man. Can you imagine all the fans from the UK singing their songs, man? The the British people getting loud and rowdy for Drew McIntyre. You know, they there was the footage when Drew McIntyre knocked Lesnar out of the Royal Rumble and um and ultimately winning the Rumble. There's footage of a pub in Scotland. And all the fans, all the Scots going wild. Like if they're watching their soccer team win the World Cup. You know? Now can you imagine, you know, tens of thousands of fans. Scots and Brits and whatever. All the European fans in the crowd getting loud for Drew McIntyre winning the strap and the pyro going off. That would have been spectacular. That would have been special. And I feel so terrible that this coronavirus pandemic relegates drew mcintyre's first ever world cup win if you will to an empty building man an empty warehouse in orlando florida but he did it and he proved that he was the chosen one all along and i can't wait to see drew mcintyre reign supreme with the title and incidentally incidentally this made the rounds um this is the match by the way that closes the show Hey, I'm not running down these matches in order, in the real order that they went chronologically on the show. Obviously, I'm going to talk about the Firefly Funhouse last. That's the main event to me. Even though it wasn't even really a match, and even though it wasn't 
the last you know segment on the show that night i'm gonna talk about it last because it's just so much to wrap my head around but nonetheless um after drew mcintyre beat lesnar for the title uh i was watching it live on the network and we cut to the the episode of 24 featuring edge and his triumphant return and everything building up to that but it was revealed later on that basically um drew mcintyre was doing an interview after his win and lo and behold, <laughs> out comes the big show. <laughs> the big show comes out and challenges Drew McIntyre for the title at the end of WrestleMania 36. Yeah, the big show basically headlines WrestleMania in the year 2020. <laughs> Is you out your goddamn mind? WWE creative. Can you call them creative? I don't think um I don't think a 6-year-old boy would call WWE creative creative. Absolutely ridiculous, man. Redonkulous. But nonetheless, of course, Drew overcomes the big show as well. We can expect to see them feuding, I suppose, for the next month or so. I I don't know. This my buddy, he said this was to promote apparently the big show has a brand new show on Netflix and I heard it was very intellectually titled The Big Show Show. <laughs> Jesus Christ. On Netflix. I guess Netflix creative team isn't as bright as WWE's creative team either. They're probably the one and the same. Nonetheless, um, Big Show has a brand new sitcom on Netflix. So they're trying to promote that. I still think that was retarded. Um, excuse me. I think that was dumb. A bad move for him to come out and challenge Drew McIntyre. Uh, you know, WrestleMania 36, even though it was basically a dark match. But nonetheless, congrats to Drew McIntyre. Randy Orton, the veteran Viper, taking on the returning legend. One of the all-time greats, the Rated-R superstar, Edge. You know, man, this is a match that I, I want to sit here and tell y'all. That it was a two thumbs up match and I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was great. Blah, blah, blah. But I can't say that. I just can't. This match kind of fell flat, man. And, and you know, everybody is criticizing it because it went way too long. That's what everybody's been saying. It just went way too long. But I don't even know if it was the fact that it went on too long. Because, I mean, I've seen longer matches than that before. I could tell you I, I could tell you right now, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, Iron Man match, SmackDown, 2004, had me had me standing on my feet. And that was an hour long, a full-blown hour, 60 minutes. It could be done. The length of the match ain't the problem. I I, I don't know. I just think <clears throat> this is another one of those matches that uh that just needed a crowd. You know, this is another, you know, second to Drew McIntyre's win, his epic victory. I would say that Edge as well needed the crowd more than anything else on this card, man. I mean, really, just imagine the, the roaring of the crowd every time Edge would start whooping on Orton. And then Orton starts whooping on Edge and the crowd just leaves a smorgasbord of boos throughout the arena. It would have been epic, man. The ebb and flow of the booing and the cheering and the offense and everything. That's what this match was missing. And they tried their best, man. I mean, they, they just whooped ass all over the damn uh, warehouse, you know, in, in the performance center. They, they were, 
in a gym area, whooping ass. Um, <clears throat> Edge did this weird move where he did like a pull up and then threw himself with you know on on the damn pull up bar onto Randy Orton who was sitting in what looked like an office chair or something like that. I thought that was a mistake. I thought a better spot would be if Edge speared Orton while he was sitting on that office chair. I think that would have been a better spot. It would have made more sense. That that was that just came out of nowhere. That that whole spot there it kind of fell flat to me. It didn't even look right. And that that's just one of the gripes. There's many things, you know, they they got on top of like a I don't even know, a bus or like a I, I don't know, but they went everywhere, they went all out, it was really extra, really, really extra, you know, you want to talk about overseasoning the pot, they, 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 overseasoning the pot is an understatement, they just drenched the pot with way too much salt, way too much pepper, you know what I mean, the ingredients was alright to begin with, and then they just went overboard, you know, Iron Chef, it, it was too much, I really think, um, it, it was good storytelling, like the physicality, the psychology, you know, even my buddy was saying, you know, these guys, <clears throat> they're in their 40s, you know, I Edge, I think is in his late 30s, but he's like, you know, uh, I mean, excuse me, Orton is in his late 30s, but he said, you know, Edge is like almost in his 50s, I think, and he's, he's out working the entire roster, you know, giving all the youngsters a run for their money, and he's right. You know, these guys, they have good psychology, good in-ring psychology, good storytelling. But the match itself, it just fell flat, man. I, I don't know. Perhaps it was the length of it. Perhaps. Perhaps it was. It, certainly, it was a part of that. But I, I just think this is the match that really needed the crowd the most. Second to Drew McIntyre and Lesnar. This really needed a crowd. It just fell flat, man. But they tried their best. And I'm not going to sit here and trash the match and say it was garbage. Hot garbage like Little Red Riding Hood and Shayna Baszler. But <clears throat> but it wasn't one of my favorite matches on the card. And certainly it's not a match I would go back and watch like I did the Firefly Funhouse. And speaking of which, the Firefly Funhouse, you know what? Before I even get into this match, I almost forgot. I have to, I, I, it would be a crime if I don't mention the Boneyard match with Undertaker and AJ Styles. Now to my surprise... To my surprise, everybody in, in the wrestling world actually actually loved this match. Everybody was saying this was great. This was well put together. And, you know, similar to the Orton Edge match, I'm just going to say that it's another match that I just think, to me, was... was I'm not going to say it was lacking, but I'm not going to say that I loved it either. You know, it, to me, it was just a little too corny for me to be like, oh, man, that was awesome. I loved it. I think storytelling was well done it really was like a movie you know it reminded me i was telling my buddy it reminded me of lucha underground you know like if y'all ever seen lucha underground from back in the day they kind of they kind of paved the way for this really they kind of set the standard for this cinematic type of stuff that's what they used to do um you know i mean they would have in-ring matches the standard conventional in-ring wrestling matches but they did a lot of that cinematic stuff as well that's what this reminded me of, like WWE's take on a Lucha Underground cinematic storytelling kind of thing. Um, but to me, like I said, it, it was just a little too corny for my taste, especially when Undertaker was on the bike and came out to Metallica. And, and by the way, I'm a huge Metallica fan, but I, I just found this to be extremely corny, man. I'm sorry. It was just really corny to me. The set looked like some low-budget ass... Um, 
you know, like the set. Y'all ever, y'all, y'all remember this show back in the day called Deadliest Warrior? <laughs> I'm a big nerd. I used to watch this show on Spike TV back in the day called The Deadliest Warrior. Where they would pit like warriors from different eras and different continents to face each other in a hypothetical showdown to see who is the deadliest superior warrior, you know. I remember they had um, <clears throat> the, the samurai take on the Vikings um, and they had uh, they had all kind of stuff, man. The Aztec taking on the Zande or whatever, the African warriors and and all this stuff and, and the set and the... I guess like the special effects, if you can call them that, you know, the production, the production, let's just say it, it, that's what the Boneyard match reminded me of. Very similar to that kind of low budget ish. But um, but you know what? Undertaker and AJ Styles, though, can these guys do any wrong? The answer is no. They they told a story. They got their stuff in. They were talking shit to each other. They made it very <clears throat> Hollywood movie ish. It was something very different. So in that respect, it was well done. I I'm not going to say it was bad or anything. I'm, I'm just not going to tell you that I loved it either. I I'm just kind of lukewarm on it. You know, it was just a little too corny for me. But but mad respect to AJ Styles and Undertaker. They, they, they quite, quite possibly stole the entire show. They quite possibly, I mean, uh, certainly a lot of people out there they, they love this match, and it's one of the highlights for many people. Not for me, but for many other people. <laughs> it's a big highlight uh, of the show. So there you have it. But let's get on to the Firefly Funhouse match. I don't even know where to start. I, matter of fact, I gotta take a smoke. I gotta take a pool of my vape before I even talk about this. This match, you can't even call it a match. There's just so many pieces to this puzzle. So many moving parts, man. So essentially, we got a big hype video package. WWE, we give them a lot of shit, okay? We wrestling fans, we give WWE a lot of shit. You heard me criticize their creative earlier and in many other episodes that I've done now. But the one thing, the one thing... WWE is completely untouchable at is their video packages, man. Their video editing, their video productions that they do is second to none. Bar none. Not even AEW, which are absolutely fantastic. They can't even compete with them there, man. Their video production, their video packages are second to none. And um, this is no exception. You know, that Bray Wyatt, John Cena... Video package, video hype for their match. It absolutely pumped me up. It was it was exciting. Then John Cena comes out after it. And we, and we think we're going to get a match. Or I thought we were going to get a conventional match. Because he was coming out to the ring. He came out on stage. And then he looked around with his goofy little smile. You know, typical John Cena, right? Like pandering to the crowd or whatever. Reacting to the crowd. Even though there was no crowd in the house. And then he says... Welcome to Wrestlemania. But as he says that, we get Vince McMahon welcoming people to Wrestlemania from many years back. Like the first Wrestlemania. And we just get... I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this shit. That's when the acid trip begins. Bray Wyatt comes out. 
he appears in his little Firefly Funhouse set. And well, he 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 encourages John Cena to join him on the set. So this is this is my take on this whole thing right here. Right off the bat, I'm gonna just say Y'all remember the Freddy Krueger movies? Okay, so for those for for the maybe the two people out there that never seen a, a Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the gist of it is Freddy Krueger is like a demon character. He gets into your nightmares, he gets into your dreams and kills you in your dreams. You know what I'm saying? He plays mind games with his victim. He's not a conventional killer like a Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers, right? Um, Freddy Krueger, he's he's more evil than Jason and, and Michael Myers and all them because he's like a demon. He gets into your actual mind, your consciousness, and fucks with you in your dreams, in your nightmares. That's the whole plot line of the Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street movies is these teenagers, they don't want to go to sleep. They can't go to sleep because they know if they go to sleep, this demon guy is going to get in there and torment them in their dreams, possibly kill them in their dreams. That's what this. That's what all this was. This whole thing was Bray Wyatt, the fiend, in John Cena's actual mind, messing with him. And he took him on a roller coaster ride throughout the history of the business and, of course, throughout John Cena's past. And my theory is, you know, I'm not going to break down this, this thing like bit by bit, piece by piece, frame by frame. I'm, I'm not a detective, man. I ain't Inspector Gadget. <laughs> I ain't a, a super crazy analyst here. All I'm going to tell you is certain references that he made, in particular, the one that sticks out to me is um, the WCW part where uh, Bray Wyatt, he, he turns into like an Eric Bischoff-like character. You know, he's in J Eric Bischoff's old regalia, the leather jacket with the NWO symbol and all that. And he says, welcome to the ring, uh, John Cena. And John Cena basically comes out as Hulk Hogan. And um, oh my God, when the Vince McMahon puppet on commentary said, this is such good shit. Y'all, you want to talk about breaking the fourth wall. This is, you want to talk about CM Punk's pipe bomb way back in the day? That's what this was times a hundred. If y'all don't know, Vince McMahon saying that's such good shit. You know, recently, Dean Ambrose, who left WWE, he made that go viral on the podcast of uh, uh, J Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho, when he said all the shitty ideas that he gave Dean Ambrose and forced him to do in the ring, you know, coming out getting inoculations in his ass and, you know, Mitch the plant and all those dumb, ri ridiculous things that Dean Ambrose had to do during his WWE run. That was Vince McMahon's main, like, you know, head game he would play is he would tell everybody that's such good shit. So you got to understand the significance of WWE acknowledging this on the grandest stage of them all, WrestleMania. You want to talk about breaking the fourth wall. That's this didn't break the fourth wall. This destroyed the fourth wall. It annihilated the fourth wall. And and I, I was marking out, bro, like a nerd. I mean, really. Then John Cena comes out. So John Cena coming out as Hulk Hogan. Again, breaking the fourth wall. This is a direct shot at not only Hogan, but also John Cena being the brand new Hogan. Because as well as podcasts and different things, like I've mentioned, that wrestlers do, 
There's also shoot interviews that a lot of wrestlers do. And there have been many, many wrestlers throughout the years that have done shoot interviews and have said that John Cena has held a lot of people back. See, during his time, you know, we all rag on Roman Reigns, right? Because he's the the company uh, product, furnished product, right? That That's out and being shoved down everybody's throats, blah, blah, blah. Well, once upon a time, John Cena was that. John Cena was the Roman Reigns of the day back in 06, 07, 08, etc. And he held a lot of people back. You know, guys like Mr. Kennedy have have said it. Guys like Alex Riley, Ryback. I mean, many, many other talents. CM Punk has mentioned this. You know, John Cena was the poster boy uh, for a long time. And in a lot of ways, John Cena was the new Hulk Hogan. Because Hulk Hogan, guess what? He was the same thing. Hulk Hogan was the company furnished product that was being shoved in everybody's throats. And Hulk Hogan held a lot of people back as well. Even more so than Cena. <laughs> I mean, Hulk Hogan, he downright refused to lose to anybody. Um, he was very protective of his character, which is understandable. But, you know, you got to also put other people over and have respect as well for your peers, for your workers that you work with. So this whole bit right here was very, very symbolic in so many ways, y'all. You know, Cena coming out as Hulk Hogan with the NWO shirt and all. And, and, and at the same time, at the same time of also breaking the fourth wall about how Cena has held back talents, including The Fiend Bray Wyatt and, and many others, this was also hinting at John Cena never turning heel. And how he could have turned heel and could have been a breath of fresh air, but instead continued to to take advantage of his stardom, gaining all that merchandise money, being the poster child, being the poster boy, and Bray Wyatt was shoving it all in his face. And this was just a masterpiece, y'all. This was so well done. And, and there's so many facets to this. Every single shot in this segment. I'm not even gonna call it a match. I'm going to call it a segment because I don't know how else to describe it. In this segment, there are so many facets to every shot. I mean, um, we go through John Cena's, his genesis. We go through him uh, as the prototype coming out in those weird colored trunks, real tight trunks, you know. Um, Kurt Angle calling him out. Bray Wyatt played this part, you know, saying who out there has a... Has, has the balls to face me or whatever in his own words, right? John Cena comes out. This was pre-Doctor of Thugonomics. This was pre-The Marine and all the of the iterations of the John Cena character. This was the very beginning. John Cena comes out. And, and you know, I alluded to this before in previous episodes that y'all need to check out um, the Ruthless Aggression documentary series on the WWE Network because in my opinion, the Ruthless Aggression era was the best era in WWE history in my personal opinion, but but that's not the point. The point is that series really highlights things that I didn't even know, which is which one of them being that John Cena, he claims that his first run in WWE was a complete failure. In fact, he said on the documentary that he was very, very close to being fired. And so Bray Wyatt, like I once again, playing mind games. He was throwing this in John Cena's face that his first run was a complete failure. You know, he swings at Bray Wyatt after saying ruthless aggression like he did to Kurt Angle. <clears throat> he swings and he misses Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is teleporting, yo. He's like disappearing, playing all these mind games. I mean... <clears throat> 
This is insanity, bro. Then we get the Doctor of Thugonomics iteration of John Cena later on. And, you know, Bray Wyatt is like a Freddy Krueger character in John Cena's head. And so John Cena, it's like he's unaware, but he is. And you can see him throughout this freaking vin vignette that he's trying to break free. Like, there's one portion of it where they're doing, like, an interview, right? And the Saturday Night Main Event set, I think it was, behind the cage. And, and Bray Wyatt, uh, excuse me, John Cena, he's he's lifting weights, lifting weights. And then Bray Wyatt is, like, talking all this shit. And then you see John Cena, like, start to, um, like, convulse. Like, he's, he's trying to swing his arms, like, throw punches. He's trying to break free because he's, like, possessed right now. You know what I'm saying? I, I sound like a big nerd. <laughs> I already know I sound like a big nerd right now. I'm just so hyped over this, man. You know... I thought this was going to be the worst WrestleMania of all time. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, just this segment right here made this one of the best WrestleManias in a while. This was something else. I mean, just the storytelling here. So John Cena swinging his arms but not able to lift up his hands. He's trying to break free. Then he turns into the Doctor of Thugonomics character. And he's got his wits back. And then so he starts rapping, right? He starts rapping, freestyling. You know, um, tra roasting uh, uh, Bray Wyatt, you know, because that's the only way he could fight back in this dream state scenario, this nightmare scenario. And, um, oh, my God, then Bray Wyatt, he gets the mic and he just goes off like a shoot on John Cena. He says, how dare you talk to me about chance? How dare you? You know, like like as if to say you have the audacity to talk to me about chances, you undeserving you know, spoiled brat that has gotten everything. Now, this isn't to say that John Cena didn't work for everything he has. But, you know, they alluded to earlier how he did hold back a lot of superstars in his wake. And Bray Wyatt, he just did this speech, man, about how, you know, he, he climbed up as well. He even turned back into the old school Bray Wyatt character sitting on his rocking chair, which was so damn cool, man. Um... There's just so many things to this. Y'all have to watch it for yourself. I could go all day losing my breath and everything. Losing my voice talking about this. <laughs> Sounding like a nerd. Y'all have to watch it for yourself, man. I'm sure it's on YouTube. If you don't have the WWE Network, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube by now. Somebody's got to have uploaded this thing, man. Absolutely insanity. But uh, I'm going to just skip ahead. I'm going to just skip ahead because I'm losing my voice here. But... <clears throat> Bray Wyatt ultimately pins John Cena. And it's it's really cool the way they do it. I mean, there there's um there, there's like a part where John Cena's he thinks he's beating up Bray Wyatt, punching him, punching him, punching him, but it turns out to be um Husky the pig or whatever, which is in reference to Husky Harris, the original gimmick of Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt then would turn into the fiend and just destroy John Cena, man. He does that <clears throat> mandible claw. That hits him with the sister Abigail. He pins him. And it's Bray Wyatt. You know. The host of the kitty show. You know what I'm saying. Um, he does the count. With a big old grin on his face. Looking super obnoxious man. And here's, here's the crazy thing. After the fiend pins John Cena. John Cena vanishes yo. Like his whole body just vanishes. And, and while he was pinning him. John Cena's words echoed throughout saying, you know, I'm it's about time I end this overhyped, overprivileged, overrated, 
WWE superstar who will never amount to anything or something along those lines. And really, John Cena was the overhyped, overrated, overprivileged superstar. It's amazing that not only did John Cena agree to this, but the fact that Vince McMahon agreed to this and allowed this i mean him saying that's such good shit after dean ambrose made that go viral in the podcast with jericho and i mean all these things man you know you gotta look at the the bigger picture here what they're saying this is a knock on hogan this is a knock on cena this is a knock on vince mcmahon this is a knock on wwe becoming that corporate machine and basically forcing fans to like who they want them to like That's all this was. It was like breaking the fourth, murdering the fourth wall, annihilating the fourth wall. You know, this was all a shoot in a way, which made this historic. It made this monumental. I don't think people understand the significance of everybody's just joking around like, oh, yeah, that was an acid trip. (laughs) But y'all don't understand the significance of this, the hidden symbols, the meanings of all this. Y'all just don't get it. There's so much more to it than meets the eye. That's what makes this whole segment so special, man. And that's all I got to say about that. I'm going on and on. I could go on for another hour just just dissecting this match. Um, Yeah, yeah, maybe in the future I'll revisit it, man, in my history highlight reel episode or something like that and talk about it, dissect it. You know, this is something we're going to talk about for many years down the road. I I promise you, I promise you, a decade later, we're still going to be talking about this. In some form or fashion. I know certainly I will. But but the Fiend Bray Wyatt pins John Cena in this extended vignette. In what was absolutely bizarre, astonishing, captivating. This is the kind of stuff that we've been needing to see out of WWE. These creative juices. You want to say EW. This, this, <laughs> this blew everything out of the water. And I'm gonna get to that as well in the news section. I got I got some AEW news. Um, you know, find out who The Rock declared as his most important. Well, not his most important opponent, but his most important match of his career. No, it's not John Cena. No, it's not Hulk Hogan. No, it's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're probably thinking, well, who the hell could it possibly be? Well, we'll talk about it as well as AEW news, as well as a wrestler. <clears throat> Entertaining the idea of making a comeback to the WWE ring. Find out who after this quick break. Man, that Firefly Funhouse just took the wind out of me. The MGM Grand is shutting down all attractions until further notice. Of course, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada was supposed to be the location for AEW Double or Nothing. The coronavirus pandemic claims another victim yet again. It would appear the huge AEW annual pay-per-view, as I mentioned, Double or Nothing, may not take place due to pandemic. In fact... 
I also read that all of AEW is going to be taking a hiatus after the next pre-recorded episodes that'll air. Um, that'll be a wrap for the young upstart sensation. I said it once, I'll say it again. As far as the wrestling world is concerned, I feel like the coronavirus has really messed up AEW more than anyone. You know, this company was firing on all cylinders, 100% batting average, knocking them out of the park, winning the Wednesday Night Wars week after week, building new stars, putting on classic matches and promos, and it's all seemingly for nothing. I mean, once this corona gabbage is finally over with, we will see just how loyal the AEW fanbase really is if they care to tune back in and follow the product as loyally as they were. Certainly, it'll be interesting to see the TV ratings they produce if and when they return to TNT and to live events when this corona gabbage is over with. And my god, I want it to be over so bad, man. But so far, it's, it's here to stay for the time being, unfortunately. Speaking of AEW, I got it all wrong about Matt Hardy being the exalted one. Not sure if I covered this in the previous episode or not, but it was revealed that Brody Lee is the exalted one and Matt Hardy instead is in a bigger role as an honorary member of the elite where he will strive to delete the inner circle and what has become absolutely magical, man. This whole storyline between Jericho and Hardy, their history, their promos, release the hounds. Jericho is gold, man. Matt Hardy is gold as well. You put them together, do the damn math. A gold mine is an understatement. Even with no crowd, these AEW Dynamite episodes have been absolute fire. They've been killing it, baby. Take notes, WWE. That's how you book an empty arena wrestling show. Absolutely fantastic, man. The little drone coming down. You know, um, Jericho putting his t-shirt, <laughs> his inner circle t-shirt on the drone. The drone flying away. And him throwing his bottle of bubbly. Releasing the hounds. The quote-unquote hounds. A bunch of little chihuahuas. <laughs> little toy dogs. You gotta love it, man. Absolute awesome. Absolutely awesome stuff. The wrestler who is considering making a return to the ring, Corey Graves. Ah, for those of y'all that don't know, Corey Graves, he was a wrestler before uh, entering the commentary, commentary table. Apparently, after seeing D-Bry, Daniel Bryan, make a comeback, and most recently Edge making his epic, triumphant comeback after almost a decade away from the ring due to neck injuries, Corey Graves has stated... He wants to see Dr. Maroon, the same doc that cleared Edge. He's seriously entertaining the idea of trying to make a comeback of his own. Graves started his wrestling career in the year 2000. He would be signed by WWE 11 years later in 2011, where his biggest achievement was becoming one half of the NXT Tag Team Champs. He would ultimately be forced to retire in 2014 after suffering a concussion-related injury. He's been doing commentary and journalistic work ever since. And you know, he's, he's co consistently been one of the brighter spots of the commentary teams, in my opinion, um, for what it's worth. Honestly, if I'm being honest, I'd much rather him continue to do his role he's currently in. You know, his commentary and his journalistic stuff, you know, his podcast is, is decent as well. I listen to it from time to time. I listen to the New Day podcast a lot more than Corey Graves, if I'm being honest. But hey, man. 
If returning to the ring would make Corey Graves happy, why not? Go for it. I mean, I, I honestly don't think anybody would really care. <laughs> but, I mean, not to be an asshole or anything, but, you know, um, a Corey Graves in-ring return, let's be real, it's not going to be in the same league as a D-Bry or Edge return, I'm just saying. But nonetheless, as the old adage goes, do what makes you happy. The Rock's most meaningful match has been revealed. And this meaningful match that he claims was the most important match of his career was not his debut match, was not his amazing WrestleMania matches with Stone Cold or his epic WrestleMania encounter with Hulk Hogan. The one we thought we'd never see, right? WrestleMania 18 in, in Toronto, Canada, I think it was. Um... It was a small house show in Honolulu, Hawaii against Chris Jericho. When Vince McMahon asked The Rock about to headline this small house show event in Hawaii, this was at the height of The Rock's career. He was a big star already. Vince said, quote, I know you probably don't want to even travel for such a small event, but bam, The Rock cut him off mid-sentence and said, no, no, Vince, this would be the most meaningful match of my entire life. Vince was like, what? Really? He said, yes. Yes, this would be the most meaningful match in my whole life. Book it, Vince. And he did. So apparently, The Rock grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. And having such special memories with his fam bams, he was eager to do it. And um, on a side note, I, I had no idea that The Rock grew up in Hawaii. Um, I was certain he was a Florida State native all along. I guess he kind of just hopscotched around the map like I did, but... After the match was said and done between Chris Jericho and Honolulu, Hawaii, The Rock went into the locker room backstage where his family was there waiting for him. He said the locker room stunk like sweat and, you know, because it was all full of the wrestlers who had been in the ring and in their respective matches. All of the wrestlers would ultimately leave The Rock and his family by themselves in the locker room out of respect, where The Rock and his family would shed tears and hug each other, said it was a special moment for them. Chris Jericho was his opponent that night. As mentioned before, all roads lead to Chris Jericho. <laughs> he is the GOAT. Okay, I'll tell you right now. One way or the other, all roads lead to Chris Jericho. You gotta love him. So there you have it, y'all. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Highlight Reel. I don't even know what I'm gonna call this, but <laughs> just really winging it here. Thank you very much for joining me. I will be back. I will try to talk about AEW. You know, I know they had a show yesterday. I haven't actually watched it. Um, I'm probably going to get to that later on today after I take care of some stuff. Don't forget to wash your hands, y'all. And don't forget to wash your ass. Stay safe out there. God bless. I'm out.
a friendship that'll never ever end